Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. I have the honor today of speaking with the Most Reverend Peter Jensen, who served as the Archbishop of Sydney and the Metropolitan of the Province of New South Wales in the Anglican Church of Australia from 2001 until just a couple of years ago when he retired. He also is a venerable theological educator, principal of Moore Theological College in Sydney. Your first visit to Beeson. Welcome, Peter. Thank you very much, and good morning to everyone listening to us. Uh, It's a delight to be here, and uh, lovely to see you again, Timothy. Thank you. Well, let's begin just by asking you to talk a little bit about how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. I owe my faith under God to an American, uh, namely a quite well-known one, Mr. Billy Graham. Mm. Mr. Graham came to Sydney, Australia, in 1959. It was the end of the era of a large amount of church going. Uh, The people were prepared uh, the gospel had been preached. The ground was prepared. Uh, I was a, a lad. I was 15 years old. I was attending a church, but I had no personal faith. Mm. Uh, and then uh, Mr. Graham came and spoke in a big auditorium, uh, and we were taken along by bus. I had little idea of <laughs> what to expect. Yeah. Uh, but he spoke, and I'll tell you what the thing that impressed me. He kept saying, the Bible says. Mm. Now, I knew that the Bible was the word of God. And that was so important, the Bible says. And then when he gave the invitation, he preached on Noah and the ark. He told us that God closed the door of the ark. We couldn't wait forever. And uh, when he invited us to come forward, I went forward instantly. And uh, my own little brother followed me uh, and came to know the Lord too. My wife also at the same time. She wasn't my wife then, Mm. but the one who was to become my wife. And so uh, it was through Mr. Graham's ministry, and I praise God for it. I'm so grateful for what Mr. Graham did for us that day. That's wonderful. Now, how did you become a minister of the gospel, a priest, I assume, in the Anglican tradition? Yes. Uh, um, the um, Mr. Graham, uh, I went back 17 times, much to the despair of my parents, <laughs> uh, to hear Mr. Graham. Uh, and uh, he said one night, We're, you know, the Lord is looking for people to serve him. Uh, in the ministry. And that stuck in my mind. Uh, When I left school, I started to study law. No, study is not the right word. I didn't study law, and I failed first year twice. Uh, Then I failed uh, university again, and they excluded me from the university. And I went to a doctor and said, I keep falling asleep in lectures. What is the explanation? He said, what are you studying? I said, law. He said, what do you really want to do? And Mr. Graham's words came back to me, and I Mm. said, I want to go into the ministry. He said, well, leave law and go into the ministry. Ah. And so that was, a very again, Mr. Graham touched my life in that significant way twice. So I went to Moore College and entered the ministry. You're not the first one who left law and went into the ministry. A guy named John Calvin did the same thing he did indeed, in yes. the 16th century. Yes, but he succeeded, <laughs> uh, and I didn't. And that's the first time and last time I'll ever be compared to Mr. Calvin. <laughs> Now, um, you, of course, are an Anglican, but you're an Australian Anglican, and you are a Sydney Anglican within Australia. That has a special connotation. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about Sydney Anglicanism, and in particular, how you would compare that, say, to British or American Anglicanism. Sure. The... um, uh As people listening to this may well know, uh, white settlement in Australia began in 1788 
with the dispatch of what we call the First Fleet, which was a convict fleet. So our first settlers were convicts and soldiers. Is this Captain Cook? No, Captain Cook had sort of charted the East mm. Coast, and it was because of that that these 18 years later, uh, Captain Arthur Phillip uh, led this First Fleet. Uh, behind the scenes, it was a brilliantly organised expedition, uh, behind the scenes, Wilberforce, John Newton. Oh, yes. And they said, this is an opportunity. And they made sure there was a Yorkshireman, um, a clergyman on the, on the First Fleet, who was an evangelical. And they sent him out with a vision, not just for the colony, but for the South Pacific. Oh. These men were extraordinary strategists and visionaries. Uh, and so Richard Johnson and Mary, his wife, came and they began a, a tradition in Sydney from the very beginning of what we now know as evangelicalism mm. and Anglican evangelicalism. Uh, uh, sometimes it lapsed, sometimes it grew. But from then on, Sydney and now Sydney Diocese has always been vast majority uh, what we call evangelical, Anglican evangelical. Now, most dioceses in the Western world tend to be a sort of a, a mixture of different churchmanships, as we say, high church, low church. But because of the nature of Australian geography and so forth, the dioceses there do tend to have one predominant feature, and we have maintained that evangelicalism overwhelmingly for all these years. Uh, not easy to do, uh, but crucial to it is more College, where our clergy are trained. And you were principal at Moore for a number of years. Uh, yes, they could find no one else, apparently. <laughs> Tell uh, us about Moore. I think uh, our listeners yeah. would like to know kind of what's the philosophy of education that's been made it so effective in servicing the church in well, this Well, uh, interestingly, I believe it's got a lot in common with Beeson. Uh, the first thing about theological education is that it doesn't occur in seminaries. It occurs, first of all, in the home. The first way in which the Lord instructs his people is in the home. And if you think about that, how does he do it? He does it by personal relationships mm. around the word. Mm. Now, that's at the heart of it, and a seminary is only a sort of a, a, an outgrowth of that mm. fundamental thing. The aim of any seminary is to know the Lord. Uh, we need to say that because uh, professors tend to go off on their own specialities and become interested in the Dead Sea Scrolls and other things which are interesting but hardly useful. Uh, what they really should be interested in is knowing the Lord. Mm. Uh, and so our seminary, and I believe this is true of Beeson, is, is a seminary in which the professors are pastor teachers who, in, who form a fellowship into which they admit students willingly and lovingly, admit the students. The students join this fellowship of pastor teachers and are taught by the pastor teachers in such a way that they themselves will become pastor teachers. Mm. The relational is essential. Mm. You can learn, of course you can learn theology by online or whatever. Some people, that's all they can do. But the relationship, I, I regard as essential. And the aim of producing pastor teachers, I think if you don't have that aim, well, you'll fail. So person to person, heart to heart, as well as mind to mind. Yes. And one of your professors, who's a graduate of Moore, uh, said to me once that uh, you learn, and uh, Professor Cole, Graham Cole said, you learn a third in the class a third in the library, a third over coffee. Yeah. That's <laughs> I great. think pretty good, isn't it? That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And who's the principal now of Moore? Uh, Dr. Mark Thompson. Yes. Uh, and uh, he's a theologian um, and, and a very fine one, uh, uh, very clear, great clarity of message. 
and uh, he's just taken over the last couple of years. You once said, we have failed to make disciples through teaching the commands of Jesus found in the Bible at depth. That is why so much of the church in the West has simply collapsed, capitulated, and compromised before a virulent antagonistic secularism. Say a little bit more about what you meant there. Well, if I could remember saying that, that would be a first start. But it sounds right. It it's sounds in one good. of your books. <laughs> see, in the 19... I don't deny it. I just, I've got a bad memory. As we know, the 1960s, crucial decade, spiritually speaking, of the 20th century, uh, the death of Christian Britain, uh, that mm. book by Cullen Brown, for example, 1963, uh, and the Western world in general. U.S. is a slightly different story, but but Canada, Britain, and I think the U.S. is becoming this story. So that was the crucial decade. Um, and in that, uh, the great uh, 1950s boom in nominal church going dries up. People who go to church now are, are pretty serious. Now, you have your options back in the 1960s. You have the options either to make disciples, to teach people, through particularly through expository preaching, mm. absolute key to this, and the gathered congregations. Uh, this is not anti- This is not... Some people think this is not Anglican, but it's at the heart of Anglicanism, where the word of God is preached and the sacraments duly administered and the people of God meet uh, and are taught in depth. Now, it's only thus and it's only where that has occurred that Anglicanism and other mainline churches have remained sprightly, strong, evangelistic, reaching out. Uh, If we fail the task of discipleship, we will fail the task of evangelism. We live in exciting times. Uh, we are now in a world where it's not obvious to be a Christian. What a joy. We, yeah. are able to, we are able to be clear as to what being a Christian is. And that way it's more like the early church perhaps. Which Far more like the early church. Went into the Roman world without a lot of assumptions they could count on. And uh, to quote an old author which, uh, whose name I've forgotten, no, I think it was T.R. Glover, he said, uh, the early Christians outthought, outloved, and outlived their pagan contemporaries. Mm. And I think that's marvellous. I think that's what we've got to do. We've got to outlive, we've got to outlove, and we've got to outthink. We weren't ready. Uh, in the 1960s, I think we weren't ready intellectually mm. for, for the storm that broke over us. Uh, and we've got to make, and we have made up ground. We've got to make up ground. There are some great thinkers in the Christian movement today. In recent years, you've become a leader in what is called GAFCON, General Secretary of GAFCON. Now, I know some of our listeners will know immediately what that is. Others will not. So if you would tell us a little bit about what GAFCON is and your role in it. Sure. Uh, GAFCON's an acronym, and it's a very ugly one. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry we couldn't think of a better one at the time. It stands for Global Anglican Future Conference. Um, Where to start? Uh, And to be brief... uh, Most of the mainline denominations under the impact of this secular world in which we're living uh, are having to come to terms with whether they are going to be orthodox, biblical Christians standing against the stream or whether they're going to capitulate to the stream. Now, those listening will know what I'm talking about, I'm sure, for all the mainline denominations. This crisis came to world Anglicanism. Now, world Anglicanism is is a body of 80 million Anglicans around the world in 160 different countries. This crisis came through the American Anglicans, uh, or the American Church, which is called the uh, these days called the Episcopal Church, uh, through the consecration of an actively homosexual bishop. This created a 
immense crisis for the Anglican communion since the vast majority of Anglicans were opposed to this. Uh, that crisis saw the coming into existence of a conference in Jerusalem in 2008 where people gathered who were against this development as opposed to what was happening in London at the same time, which was the famous Lambeth Conference, which the Archbishop of Canterbury called. Uh, I wouldn't go to the Lambeth Conference because the Americans who had done this were there. Mm. And I said, if we do that, we're having fellowship with people. And this is not just a disagreement. This is not just the sort of things between Arminians and Calvinists. Mm. Or uh, This is a fundamental, this is an attack on the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Uh, you see, is it a, the question is, who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ. How does he rule his church? Through his word. Mm. And this was a corruption of the gospel. Now, this was clearly seen. We gathered in Jerusalem in 2008, and we, we, uh, we put forward a magnificent statement called the Jerusalem Declaration and decided that we were a movement, not just a moment. And what has happened subsequently is that this GAFCON movement has preached the gospel, inspired Anglicans to go through all the world, but also gathered up the fragments of Anglicans who have been disaffiliated from their own church by these heretical developments. And here in North America, we have gathered up those fragments and started the Anglican Church of North America with something like 100,000 members recognized by the majority of Anglicans around the world through GAFCON. And I'm the General Secretary of GAFCON. I'm sorry for such a long no, answer. No, no, it's, it's, it's very a complex helpful. issue. Let, let me just ask you to say a little bit more in particular about Africa. Several years ago, we had Archbishop uh, Henry Luke Arambi from Wonderful. Uganda yes. uh, speak in our chapel and help dedicate a statue of Yanini Luam, one of his predecessors. Yes. So uh, yeah. I think he would be very sympathetic to GAFCON. And those top, but Africa seems to be a nerve center of this movement. Is that true? And yes. why is that so? Uh, Henry Lucarombi was not only sympathetic, he actually read the Jerusalem Declaration at the meeting in Jerusalem. Ah. It was magnificent. And uh, it, uh, frankly, the Billy Graham Crusade and the Jerusalem con Conference are two of the great moments of my life, mm. I have to say. Mm. I, I weep even now thinking of them. Um, now, uh, how, why Africa? Well, because of the evangelistic work of our forebears, uh, African Anglicanism is very vibrant. There are 13.5 million church-going Anglicans in Uganda. Mm. Uh, I don't know how many there are in England, but there's less than a million probably. Uh, in Australia, there'd be about 200,000 church-going Anglicans, as opposed to people who claim the name. In Nigeria, 20 million church-going Anglicans. Wow. Put those two together, let alone Tanzania, uh, Kenya, Rwanda, you have the most significant body of Anglicans in the world. Now, this is hard to say. Uh, they have felt betrayed. Mm. They've felt betrayed by the West mm. because they've said, you came, you taught us the Bible, you said we had to be converted, you taught us the authority of God's word, you taught us that Jesus was Lord of the church. It pained us to take all that. We had to give up so much to become Christian. Mm. And now you're saying that you don't have to obey the Bible on this crucial issue. Mm. And it has been a tremendous shock to the African Anglicans and has weaned them, I think, from a perhaps unhelpful respect 
for Western Christians. Mm. They still love us. Uh, they're still concerned that, in fact, there's, we've, GAFCON has set up a missionary society in England. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Wow. Uh, to re-evangelize the West. Mm. But the heart of Anglicanism today is, I'd have to say, Africa. You're a historian by training, but I want to ask you to be a prophet for a moment. And what what does this look like uh, 10, 15 years from now? Will GAFCON continue to grow? Will, the Anglican, will there be a reconciliation with the Anglican Communion through the Archbishop of Canterbury, or are we kind of moving in a way where that we're beyond that possibility? I don't want to be a prophet, of course, but um, a year ago I would have said uh, GAFCON did not begin as a sort of replacement for the Anglican Communion. Mm. It began as a renewal movement within the Anglican Communion, and it still hopes to be that. Right. It has issued a call to repentance, for example. Uh, it wants to see reconciliation. But I have to say, as time goes on, and you see in various Western churches in particular, a deeper and deeper compromise with the world, uh, that the that it, it almost as if the beating heart of the Anglican Communion has moved, and we will see, I think, coming not so much by the not so much by setting up a new communion, but in and through the existing communion will emerge. I think it has emerged. Anglicans having fellowship together, which is what communion is, Anglicans having fellowship together around the word of God in a new, vibrant way, and I think GAFCON is leading the way to that. Now, this is not insignificant, not merely for Anglicans, for each of the great mainline denominations also has its own struggle. Mm. And I think if we can link up with one another and recognise that this is going on in the Church of Scotland, it's going on in the Lutherans. It's going on in the Methodists. And it is a test for Western Christianity as to whether in the end we are going to determine ourselves for Christ, for his word, for his unchanging gospel, or whether we are going to simply become the willing slaves of a world which has gone mad. Now, I think as this struggle has come to the Anglicans, so it will come right across the board. And sometimes you even think, and you don't want to overstate, but you even think, is this a a new Reformation moment? My guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been the Most Reverend Peter Jensen, Archbishop of Sydney for many years, and now the General Secretary of GAFCON. Thank you so much, Peter, for being here and for this wonderful conversation. Timothy, thank you, brother, for your fellowship. It means a great deal to me. God bless you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.